It's good to share together in this way, worship the Lord together with you. My meditation this morning I've entitled The Eyes of Christ, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And I suppose if thinking of the eyes of Christ, um, your eyes, my eyes, and that's the focal purpose of my meditation here this morning, that we would become the eyes of Christ. And uh, on my Minnesota driver's license here, how important are our eyes, the color of your eyes? Uh, You know, it seems like kind of an insignificant little point of identity to give you uh, how many different colors of eyes are there. They're black, they're brown, they're green, they're hazel. Did I miss any? Blue, okay. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of great variation, but, you know, it's, it's still a form of identity that the legal authorities have uh, deemed worthy to have on your form of identification. I, uh, I, you know, if I, if I had to t- ask, tell any of you the color, your color of your eyes, I don't think I could tell. Uh, you know, unless I specifically focused on you and said, okay, that's, that's what the color of your eyes are. But it's not something I think about a lot, what the color of my eyes are. But uh, not necessarily talking about the color of eyes, but, you know, it's probably something that doesn't change. I, I wanted to research that out. Does the color of people's eyes change? Ryan's saying they do. Uh, so maybe it's not even a permanent form of identity. Uh, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of interesting that, you know, it's, you, know, you fill out legal documents, and that's one of the things you want to know, <laughs> what the color of your eyes are. Well, I don't know what the colors, color of Christ's eyes were, and that's really insignificant. But there are some other more significant points about the eyes of Christ that I think we do well to focus on. And uh, we, as we look at these scriptures here this morning, I want to look at some of the scriptures, some of the things that the eyes of Christ saw as he walked in his earthly ministry. And I think we need to serve as the eyes of Christ today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cupid unto his statue? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the mar, for the mar shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Thinking about the eyes of Christ, notice here what Jesus says in verse 22. He says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Now the NIV uses, uh, translates that word, that word single as good. So if our eye, if our vision is good this morning, what we're doing this morning is having a spiritual vision check. I could have hung a uh, card up here, a vision check, visual vision check that for our natural eyes. But what we're doing is looking at a spiritual, uh, as we look at the Word of God, looking at a spiritual, uh, doing a spiritual vision check. Uh, do I have good spiritual eyes this morning? Do I have good spiritual eyesight? You know, naturally speaking, you can have the best eyes, and yet we are so dependent upon light. And this ties into our Sunday school lesson. As we were sitting here discussing the lesson this morning, I thought, you know, there's a lot of com- uh, connections between what I have to share this morning and the Sunday school lesson. That was the light and the darkness aspect. You know, we can have the best eyes, but, you know, unless, we're, unless we have the light to illuminate, you know, we're, we're helpless in a, to a certain degree. Uh, I had to think of the experience probably 30-some years ago in this congregation. There was two blind boys uh, regularly in this church. And uh, our good friend Arlen one time dropped them off after uh, evening activity. And uh, as Bobby was heading to the house, his mom and dad had gone to bed, and the lights house was totally dark. And Arlen very generously offered. He said, Bobby, shall I turn the light on for you? And he just laughed. He said, I don't need the light. You know, they develop another sense of sensitivity, and he could feel and touch, and you know, and work, you know, being around them, Walter and, and Bobby, they both. Uh, Bobby was blind from birth. I think Walter was an injury, perhaps at a very young age. But uh, you know, they developed another sense of touch and, and sensitivity that you know covered somewhat for their eyes. But I don't think any of us want to voluntarily go there, give up our eyesight for to develop that touch. We we, we depend upon our eyes very, but yet we depend upon the light as well. Well, Jesus here is talking, he's saying, the light of the body is the eye, and if our eye is good. So we want to have good spiritual eyesight this morning. As we look at the scripture here and use the Bible as our eye chart, how do I see materialistic things? I think it's the setting here that we're looking at. This setting here is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus giving some very profound truths and and new truths, new concepts for them to think about. And uh, so he's asking them, he's saying, how do I view material things? Things that are temporal, things that are passing, things that, are, that can rust, things that can corrode, or things that can be stolen. You know, how many of our possessions can those things happen to? They can be stolen, they, can be, they, they, they break down, they, they corrode, they, they don't last for very long. Those are, the thing, those are the material things that Jesus is drawing our attention to. And then verse 19, backing up there, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Treasures, I would like to say, equals value. Okay, Something that I treasure is something that I place value on. There are certain things that I have that I, I treasure. And uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be willing to part with them for a lot of money. But there are some things that if the price is right, yeah, I'd be willing to part with them. But uh, we're not going there this morning. But, you know, treasures equal value. And I want you to keep those values, those possessions secure where I can see them. I want, I want to be able to get my hands on them when I want them. But notice what Jesus says. He says, lay not up for yourselves treasures. So notice it's not about myself. It's not about yourself. Uh, I like to uh, 
In contrast, Jesus' earthly ministry was not about himself. And uh, so we need the light. We need the light of Christ. As the light is illuminated in our spiritual walk with him, we can focus off of ourselves. And that's what our Sunday school lesson was talking about. We mentioned how pride and self uh, so often come in, in conflict with serving the Lord and, and Christ being perfect in us. You know, it's not that Christ isn't perfect. If Christ is perfect, but the, 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 ob- the obstacle is ourselves and our own nature that gets in the way. So in that aspect, uh, we limit Christ in being perfect in us many times. We do not allow him to, uh, we restrict him to in him working his perfect will in us. And his will is perfect. His plan is perfect. His salvation is perfect. His salvation is complete. But how many times do I restrict him by choosing something lesser? Uh, of my own choosing and liking. So as we walk in the light, as we allow the light of Christ's light and life to shine into our hearts through our spiritual life and I, we can focus then not so much on ourselves, but rather on others. And that's a challenge that I, I need to develop and grow in, is that my focus is not on, as it mentions there in verse 19, Jesus is very clear, says, Lay not up for yourselves, my focus, my ambition needs to be, what can I do for others? What can I do for you? That brings me to my second point. So the first point is light. Light is an important aspect of, of our vision. Christ is light. In him is no darkness at all. We need the light. You want to see correctly spiritually, you need to stay in the light. You need to walk in the light. You need to live in the light. The second thing is the idea of focus. Notice that in verse 24. It says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. But yet we try it so many times. We want to serve God and we want to serve ourselves. It won't work. It can't. Our focus. Where is my focus this morning? Where is your focus spiritually? Is it on God or is it on those temporal things? Uh, you know, let's face it. Everybody sitting here this morning has their eyes looking forward. Uh, I find it interesting. Humans, their field of vision is, is only about 180 degrees. And uh, horses have a 350-degree field of vision. I don't know if cows that fit in that same category or not, but I'm guessing they're on the side of their heads, so I'm guessing it's pretty close. But, uh, you know, our field of vision is, 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 is in our, our focal field of vision is, is the direction we're looking. We're talking about focus this morning. Where is my focus on God or mammon? God placed our physical eyes so that we can focus forward. Uh, and spiritually, there's a spiritual application there too. I think God desires that we focus on Him. We follow Him. We cannot serve two masters is what He tells us here in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we need to turn directions. I want to go the other direction, follow myself. That's a totally different path than what the Lord has chosen. We need to change. Let's not think we can focus on two masters at one time. Does field of vision have something to do with less distraction? Uh, suppose God had created us with 350 uh, degree vision. You know, maybe maybe our focus needs to be uh, narrowed more than what it is already. <laughs> uh, just a thought to think about. But I think we can still focus narrower than that 180 degrees. When we follow the Lord, 
You know, I can see things probably, well, not that far, pretty close. <laughs> uh, see, you know, you, your peripheral vision, you know, you take your eye test. They want to see how far out you want your field of vision is. Uh, well, do we want to see it's good? I think it's important, uh, especially when you're driving, that you can see somebody merging in from either side, perhaps. I guess that's what they're, they have in mind. And so there's a certain degree of worth to that. But when it comes to the spiritual application of it, we need to be focusing totally on Christ. Uh, and I, I say as, as we narrow our field of vision and focus on him, the less distractions we have. Clearly our, our focus needs to be on, on God. I thought it was interesting in verse 25, he says, uh, as we think of focusing on God, you know, it, it mentions, he says in verse 25, don't, in my own words, he says, don't worry. Uh, you know, and the things he's mentioning there are, are really good things. Three basic things uh, that we think we are, they're important. Food, clothing, and shelter. He says we shouldn't even worry about that. He says don't give no thought to it. Uh, well, I'm not saying we shouldn't give any thought to it. I think it's important that we, according to other places in the scripture, that we provide and care for ourselves and our families. I think that's good. But it should not come to the point of worry or anxiety. Uh, first of all, does worry or anxiety help? It probably makes you less, less effective. If you're going to worry and focus on you know, whether we have food, clothing, and shelter, <laughs> it tells us very clearly that God knows what our needs are. God knows the needs of his children. And uh, then he directs our vision. He says, notice there in verse 26 through 34, he says, Behold the fowls of the air. I think the NIV says, Look to the fowls of the air. Look to them. And uh, he says, Look at the birds. Look at the grass. Uh, have you ever heard a worried bird sing? The other morning I was up at doing the chores at 4, 4 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 4.30, something like that. And they were going at it singing. I couldn't see them. It was that dark, I couldn't see them, but I could hear them. Uh, and I don't, they didn't sound worried to me. They knew another day was coming. They knew the sun was going to come up. And they knew there was going to be food there for them. Now, I've heard, I've seen birds scold. You get close to the young ones. You get close to their nests. Killdeer, robins, uh, barn swallows. You know, they get anxious. Uh, these big humans clambering up the tree or, or working the field around the killdeer nest. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll stand up. They'll, they'll get, I actually had one, I probably told this story before. I was working a field of ground and, and the tractor, 100 some horsepower, and uh, all of a sudden I noticed up at the front tire, here was this mother killed her, there were their wings, I guess it was some mother, I don't know, I like to think it was the mom, I don't know if it was the mother, the mom or the dad, and they were right there at the front tire, just inches away, I hit the brakes, and I stopped, and right there was her nest of eggs, and uh, I, that, that year I actually worked, usually I don't see their nest, but that year I actually worked around her nest and left them, left them hatch out. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was just so impressed with her courage, her faith. Uh, and, you know, standing against, up against uh, modern agriculture, <laughs> I guess you'd say. And uh, so that was a challenge to me. Well, do the birds worry? I don't think they do. Uh, another side note here. I, uh, I grew up on a chicken farm, and I had to think of this is just reflecting back, but... It was interesting. Chickens actually, and I think all fowls probably, most fowls anyway, actually have more color uh, visual interpretation than us humans. 
uh, I forget how many different cones of color sphere they can determine, but it, it brought back to me memories of we used to put restrictive blinders on our chickens at home. Uh, little, we called them glasses, little plastic things that they, they actually pinned on their beak. And uh, the purpose was to keep them from picking on each other. And it's probably considered inhumane now, but uh, chickens don't have uh, little plastic restric- vision restrictors. Some work somewhat like horse blinders, I guess, but uh, that was just a memory I had to think about. But uh, you think of the color in birds and the way God created birds. And, uh, you know, they're beautiful, colorful plumages. And uh, so it, I, I'm just taking the, uh, the, uh, their word for it. I don't know how you measure birds' vision. I thought that was kind of phenomenal. How do you measure what they see different colors? But uh, they've come to that determination that they have the ability to uh, distinctively measure different colors more than the human eye. Well... As we think of focusing on God, focusing on today, you know, our trust in God today, uh, you know, we, we can get ourselves worked up into a tizzy. What about tomorrow? Well, tomorrow it says, uh, you know, there's enough of problems in tomorrow that we don't need to worry about them today. And God gives us enabling strength and grace. <clears throat> the importance of life, part, pardon me, the importance of light and vision, the importance of focus like to look at some of uh, our Lord's, uh, narrow down here to some of our Christ's vision that he saw. Turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. As I focused on, as I thought about focusing on others, that's one of the truths that I want to drive home here today. Matthew chapter 9, and, and Christ so very, very adequately lived that out and demonstrated that in his earthly ministry, focusing on the needs of others. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. When he saw the multitudes... Do I see the multitudes today as Christ saw them? Does it move me to compassion? Does it move me to action? What did Christ see as he saw the multitudes? Well, I think he saw in verse 37, he said, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. I think he saw souls, uh, never dying souls that needed redemption. And that was his purpose and goal of coming and ministering to mankind today. God sees a harvest of souls. Do I see a harvest of souls as well? I thought it was interesting. Jesus here told his disciples, he said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. We've all heard this expression, why worry when you can pray? Uh, And it's a truth I need to be reminded of. Why worry when you can pray? But as I thought about that, I thought, why pray? Uh, Well, prayer is, first of all, a prerequisite uh, in being sent. Prayer is a prerequisite for us. We petition God. We we give Him our concerns. We we give Him our perspective as it would be. And so many times we need that perspective to be deepened, enlarged, uh, so it fits into God's purpose and plan. As I thought about prayer being a, a prerequisite in being sent, I thought of the experiences of the Apostle Paul. And this is just an example. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 11. You know, after Paul met the Lord 
Jesus on the Damascus Road. You know what it says here in chapter 9, verse 11. And the Lord said unto him, Arise. This is when he was sending uh, uh, Ananias to him. Uh, the Lord had come to him and told him in a vision to, uh, to go. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. I thought that was interesting, that Paul, here he was, praying. He desired to know what God's purpose. He had been arrested. He had been blinded by that light from heaven. And here was Paul. He was praying. Was he fretting? Was he worrying about where was my career? Where was my life? What about how am I going to provide? How am I going to take care of myself? No, he was praying to the Lord. God had clearly struck him down with a purpose and a plan. How many times do we resort to other purposes rather than prayer? Prayer should be a first resource always. Go to Mark chapter 6. As we see, I think we need to pray. Now, in the, in the Apostle Paul's experiences here, his, his, his natural vision was, was gone. And uh, but yet he prayed and his vision was being perfected in the Lord Jesus Christ you know I think it's good that we, we close our eyes when we pray and maybe this goes back to some of that but uh, you know it, it serves to, to help uh, from distraction and uh, there are times we, we can't shut our eyes. There's times we, we pray. I think it's all right to pray, mentally pray. And there's times we shut our eyes and we, our minds aren't, aren't shut to the degree as, as our eyes are shut, but our minds are still wondering. It needs to be a double, uh, double process. Our minds need to be focused on the Lord. Our eyes need to be closed. Um, Mark chapter 6, verses 46 through 56 Mark 6, verse 46. And when he had sent them away, this is Jesus here, and when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. Now, I thought that was interesting. There's Jesus, the Son of God. He had sent his disciples away. He needed time with his Father. And it says he went into, the mount, into a mountain to pray. And when he was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed them by. Now notice verse 49. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wonder. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Genesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship straightway, they knew him and ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they, where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into the villages or the cities or the country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch besought him that they might touch if it were but the border of his garment and as many as touched him were made whole Jesus saw his disciples there in verse 48 he saw them toiling in rowing uh, 
I was impressed as I thought about Jesus, what he saw. He saw his disciples. Jesus was away praying, talking, communing with his Father in the mountain. Yet he saw, as he was to pass over to the other side, walking on the water on the sea there, he saw the disciples out there toiling and struggling. Uh, I had to ask myself as I think of my eyes being the eyes of Christ, uh, do I see those that are toiling? You know, in my role as deacon and treasurer, uh, do I see past the numbers on the balance sheets of our church and our fellowship and see those that are toiling? Uh, it's just that's a challenging thought to me. I need to look beyond the numbers and, uh, and see you as ones that are working and toiling in God's kingdom. And to me, it's a blessing. I want to say thank you for your contribution to the work of the Lord. You know, the task you are called to may be tearing, may be boring, may be overwhelming, but I want to reassure you that Jesus sees you in your toiling, even as he saw his disciples toiling. They were frustrated. The waves were boisterous. And uh, I'm guessing they probably weren't making a lot of progress, forward progress. And, uh, of course, Jesus came on the scene. And uh, you know, that changes the whole picture. That changes the whole picture when we see Jesus in our toiling. And the lessons we can learn by trusting him. But the challenge for me this morning is, do I see those that are toiling? And do I, am I ready to lend a hand of encouragement to them? Well, Matthew chapter 9, jumping back to the book of Matthew again. Jesus sees us as individuals, I believe. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. We see Jesus in his earthly ministry here. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. A very simple observation. Jesus saw Matthew. Jesus knew him. Uh, he saw him as an individual. Do I see individuals here this morning? We're as a congregation, but yet you're all individuals. You make up a congregation. And that's important. We, we need uh, social interaction, and we are a group, but yet... A group is made up of individuals. And do I see you as individuals, your assets that you bring? Do I, as Jesus did to Matthew here, call others to follow Christ? Uh, you know, I think it does something for us when people remember us. Uh, remember us by name. Last weekend, had a very uh, challenging awakening. There was at the wedding, Vanessa's aunt and uncle, she came up to us after well, at the rehearsal there. She came up to us and she said, I think I know you. And that was Miriam, Abner's daughter. By the way, Abner sent to send his greetings along to you, Arnie. But uh, I, I didn't remember her, but I did get, she, I think I, you had me in your Christian home class in 1985 at Maranatha Bible School. And uh, so I, yesterday I pulled out my, my notes from the Christian home class and she was on the student list. And then her husband, John, he said, uh, he came up to me and talked to me about something with the mic there. And he said, I think I know you too. And I said, you look, he said, you look so different. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't dispute that. <laughs> but I, I would have never picked him out. But after he, uh, after he, I thought about it for about two days. <laughs> I thought, do I know this boy or not, this man? And uh, it wasn't until we were almost on the way home. I thought, you know, I do remember John sitting in the back seat in the back pew in the chapel there <laughs> in my Christian home class. And... Uh, so that was, that was 29 some years ago. 
and uh, we both changed probably. But uh, you know, talking about knowing people and remembering people, you know, it's it's easy to lose track of people. I mentioned this one in the Sunday school class. Turn to Matthew chapter 21. I believe Jesus notices the natural things. And uh, this is the example of the fig tree that I mentioned in the adult class here. Matthew chapter 21 verse 17. And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany and he lodged there. Now in the morning as he returned into the city he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow in thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever... Ye shall ask in prayer. Notice again, ask in prayer. Believing, ye shall receive. I was challenged as I thought about the vision, spiritual vision, how important prayer is in maintaining good spiritual vision. Uh, how important is prayer meeting? Uh, well, I believe it's important enough that we need to maintain, it's important for us to maintain our spiritual vision. Jesus saw this fig tree. I think Jesus saw an opportunity in the natural things to, to teach spiritual truths to his disciples. Uh, someone has said Jesus mentions the aspect of faith here someone has said that faith is the eye of the soul so as we think of faith as we think of serving the Lord how important is our faith in God uh, well how important is your natural eye it's, it's the eye is important it lets me lets you see lets you understand faith gives us in a spiritual sense in a spiritual sense the ability to spiritually understand some of the mysteries that we're talking about in, in, in the Bible, in the science school class this morning. There's mysteries, things we don't understand. But faith gives us that ability to see and believe and embrace those truths even though we do not fully naturally understand them or can explain them. Faith is the eye of the soul. Turning to Mark for my sixth point here. Mark chapter 10 verses 13 through 17. This is an interesting account, familiar account to most of us. Uh, Mark 10, verses 13. See, account where the uh, parents were bringing the young children. Verse 13, they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. Verily I say, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. I was challenged as I thought about the eyes of the Lord, you know, an important person, healing the sick, and all of the important work of God, yet yet time for the children. Uh, Jesus saw past any personal inconvenience this would have that his disciples were trying to save him from. Uh, you know, the disciples stepped in there and they said, no, they rebuked him. He said, you know, really, he's too busy. He's too, got too much going here. Jesus rebuked him. He said, uh, Jesus saw past any inconveniences this situation was creating. Do I see people where they're at today, regardless of their race, age, or etc.? 
uh, am I willing, do I see through the eyes of Christ this morning, see people where they are at, regardless of their age, from the youngest to the oldest, regardless of their incrocities uh, or whatever, uh, do I accept them? Do I have time for them? Do I see people as the Lord would see them? Seventhly, turn to Luke chapter 13, uh, verses 11 through 17. Luke 13, verse 11. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she made she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or his oss from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversities were, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. I was impressed as I saw Jesus as he saw her. Do I see people here? This was a woman I like to say typifies a woman without hope. Eighteen years bound with her infirmities. Uh, he looked into her life, the bondage without hope for years, and he provided deliverance for that. Through his mission of serving, he granted physical deliverance, but beyond that, he also provided the way of spiritual deliverance. Jesus saw her in her hopelessness. Do I see people that are hopeless? Am I willing to invest time in them? John chapter 19, one more concluding thing that Jesus saw that challenged me. John 19 verses 25 through 27. This is Jesus as he hung on the cross and he saw his mother. Verse 25, Now therefore stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her into his own home. I see in, in Jesus seeing his mother and those other women who very supportably stood by him. The disciples had desert, seemingly deserted him. And uh, John, with the exception of John, and uh, we believe this is John here. But I see total self-abandonment. Jesus saw and sensed his relationship responsibility to his mother in spite of of the suffering that he was experiencing. And I can't completely get my hands around that or my mind around that. You know, there was Jesus hanging, crucified on the cross and yet sensing his responsibility to his mother who he had a somewhat legal, perhaps, responsibility and he's entrusting that, delivering that to, to John. Well, how does my spiritual vision look? How does it stack up are they truly the eyes of Christ I need the light I need to focus on him I need to be reminded of those and see those that are toiling I need to see those each of you as individuals I need to notice the natural things in life 
You think of all the natural things that God has placed around us for our instruction. I was impressed as he saw the children, regardless of who they were or where they were at. The hopeless. And then the earthly, maternal relationships that he had with his mother. May those truths challenge us as we live from week to week that our eyes, your eyes this morning, would truly be the eyes of Christ.